Our Old Testament passage today picks up in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself. Now, before he's been hidden, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Okay, now here is a command with a promise. He said, you go do this, and I will do this. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over his household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Here, here is a man who respected God. So he, though he lives in Samaria, and he serves one of the nastiest kings in Israel's history, here is a man who respected God. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as he was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go and tell your lord, Behold, Elijah is here. He said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my lord has not sent to seek you. And when they say he's not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they have not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. As soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in the cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. <laughs> I just said, as the Lord of hosts lives, behold, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. He said, I will do this. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? <laughs> this is calling, calling good evil. You know, it's amazing when men of God do the right thing, how people who are doing the wrong thing trash them. Let me say that again. It's amazing how when men of God do what is right, evil people trash them. Is that you, troubler of Israel? He answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. He said, ah, this is a rebuttal. Sometimes you must rebut a lie. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me, to me, at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the Asherah, 
who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people would not answer a word. No commitment. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire on it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire on it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, well spoken. (laughs) Now these people would not answer a word. Now they say, well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God and put no fire on it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it. And they called in the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself. He's going to the toilet. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their customs with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Now, this is cutting. Now, young people, straight up talk. This cutting, this, this, is, this is demonic worship. This is somehow trying to get demons to answer you. Young people, please, no cutting. As a, as a Christian, this is not something we do. They cut themselves. It was part of their worship. Young people, no cutting. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no, there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Ah, He repaired a real altar. Now, sometimes people say, why at Mount Carmel? He repaired a real altar. There was an altar of God there. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the numbers of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar as great as as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bull in pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars of water and pour it on the burnt offering. And then he said, Do it a second time. And they said, Did it a second time. And then he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Now, most of my life, I thought that was just to show that this was real that this was real fire that came down, supernatural. But you know, Brother John taught us something that was, to me, fascinating. This was in a season of famine. 
In other words, drought. What is there a shortage of in a drought? Water. Remember the brook dried up? Yeah. And if you go to Mount Carmel, you'll see the water is way down at the base of the hill. And so they had to go through all the hard work to bring that water up the hill. They had to sow the precious. The water was precious. So it's not just the sacrifice of the bull. They sowed an offering of water. They were praying for rain. They sowed an offering of water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. He said, I want it to be known this day three things. Number one, number one, that you are the God of Israel. Number two, that I am your servant. And number three, that I have done all these things at your word. Now, that is a prayer for every leader to pray for. With all the questions about who, who, is, who has God sent to lead? Lord, let it be known this day. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. <laughs> that you have turned their hearts back. Touching the hearts with repentance. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water as it was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the book Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Get up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. Now notice, he says to Ahab, says to the king, Get up, eat and drink, but there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. Now, if you go with us to Mount Carmel, we do that on the first day of the Israel tour. On a clear day, now sometimes it's not clear, but on a clear day, you can see all the way back down to Caesarea. You, you can see the Mediterranean Sea from the top of Mount Carmel. So this is what he's saying. Go look toward the sea. Go look toward the Mediterranean Sea. And you can see all the way there. It is a beautiful, on a clear day, it is Gunda. And he went and he looked and he said, there's nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. At the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you, because it's a difficult trek back down. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garments and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is, this is supernatural. Here is an old man outrunning a horse and chariot. Wow. Chapter 19, verse 1. 
Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. Wow. It's amazing the things that will bring fear to a heart. With all the things that he went through, this is what makes him afraid. The words of Jezebel. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die. (laughs) This is a wrong prayer request. Saying, It is enough now. O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, here is a solution to discouragement. Eat, drink, and I'm not talking about alcohol there, and sleep. And then repeat. Sometimes that's what you need. You sit down with somebody who's really depressed and discouraged. I said, listen, I want you to go get a good meal. Make sure you get plenty of fluids. Go to sleep. See me again tomorrow. The next day, I tell him, I want you to go get a good meal. Get plenty of fluids. And I want you to go get a good sleep. It's amazing how quickly the body recovers. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) Wait a second. What are you doing here, Elijah? God, you know what he's doing there. He said, God, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they may seek my life to take it away. And God said to him, Go out, stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains, and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, say what you want about Elijah. Elijah knew the presence of God. 
He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So, Elijah, you've got some more work to do. I often sit down with young and old pastors alike that are very discouraged in the ministry and remind them they've got more work to do. You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. God saw Elijah had reached his limits. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand, God doesn't punish people. God doesn't, God doesn't destroy people with, with this kind of stuff. There comes a time when God recognizes this man's soul has had enough, and it's time for another man to take up the load. He said, and the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You ever notice people like to kiss idols? (laughs) It's not a new thing. And he left the oxen, and he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said, ah, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke and oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yoke of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. He uh, removed his job. (laughs) One-way street. For Elisha, this was going to be a one-way street. And he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. He became a son in the faith to Elijah. He became a man who dedicated his life to serve Elisha, and then the anointing of Elisha came upon him. One of the things I have learned in my short life is that God attaches young men to older men that are coming near their end because he wants to pass an anointing on. But too often today, people don't want to be sons. They, they, in their arrogance, I don't know what's with some of these guys. If you ask me, a lot of the things that have happened in my life is because I attached myself to older men. I attached myself to incredible men of God, and I have no idea why those doors ever opened, but they did. And I was always faithful to those men and served those men. And it's amazing how the anointing that those men had on their life still flows in my life today. I wouldn't say I have 100% of their anointing, 
I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that there is a measure of the anointing that came because I pursued and I served those men. Some of you young pastors today, you need to quit looking at the ministry as a profession and realize that there is an anointing that comes from relationship. The twelve followed Jesus. Timothy, Titus followed Paul. Young John Mark followed Peter. There is an anointing that flows in a relationship. So rather than look at the ministry as something, and I hate the word mentors, quit looking for mentors and start looking for men of God that God will join you with. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today begins in Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 19. Now, those who were scattered, all right, those who were scattered because of the persecution, this is the fruit of persecution. It scatters. It cannot destroy. It scatters, not destroys the work of God. Because of the persecution that arose over Stephan, now remember, this is where everybody except the 12 apostles. Every, every Christian was driven out of Jerusalem except the 12 apostles. This was the persecution that came from the Hellenistic synagogue and driven by the Apostle Paul. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. All right, so you wonder where the church of Antioch of Assyria started. It started here. This is Antioch of Assyria. Okay, you wonder where the church in Cyprus started, where Paul and Barnabas went on their first trip. It started here. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Okay, so the guys from Cyprus, they came to Antioch, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So they spoke to the Greeks. Now, this is fascinating. So the church in Antioch of Assyria where Paul and Barnabas pastored together there in Acts uh, 13. This church at Antioch of Assyria that became Paul's home church was actually started by the church of Cyprus. Ah. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. All right, so this is Gentile church birth. The Antioch of Assyria church was the first great birthing of a Gentile church. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, so the grace of God, grace can be seen. He was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. All right, so you see grace and you exhort them to remain faithful with steadfast purpose. We gave you a big sermon on that not too long ago. For he was a good man. Barnabas was a good man. Barnabas means son of encouragement. He was a good man. Number two, he was full of the Holy Ghost. Number three, he was full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So a good leader brings harvest. A good leader brings harvest. Now, bad leaders don't know how to bring in a harvest, but good leaders bring a harvest. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Why? He needs someone to help him with the Greeks, okay? Saul is an obvious choice. Saul was a Greek scholar. He was, he was not just a scholar of Gamaliel, he was a scholar of the Greek things. He, he understood the Greek languages. And remember, this whole church here is among the Greeks. He needed someone who was really good with the Greeks. This is how to choose an assistant pastor. 
And that's how Paul started. He started as an assistant pastor. He's either a prophet or a teacher there in the church of Antioch. So how do you choose? Someone needed. <laughs> you choose somebody that is needed for the work. Remember, Barnabas was not a Greek speaker. Barnabas was a Jew. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the Christians were for, the disciples were first called Christians, which means like the anointed one. Now, in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So there were prophets in the church in the early days. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. That would have been around, oh, 39 A.D. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So the disciples determined, according to their ability, to send relief. So prophecy did not say to give. It just foretold an event. So there was no prophecy saying, thus says the Lord, thou shalt give 5,000 pesos. There was no prophecy. Simply, there's a famine. And then the disciples decided. It is a decision in response to prophecy. But it was not directed prophecy. Prophecy is never directive in the New Testament. So they did it, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So Saul goes back to Jerusalem now to bring an offering. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, wow, it pleased people that a man of God was killed. Wow. He proceeded to arrest Peter also. He said, hey, these people like this. I'm trying to, to get everybody together here. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him by the church. Earnest prayer. Kept in prison. Prayer. How do you face a problem Problem faced with earnest prayer. No demonstrations in the streets. Prayer. And when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on his side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Peter has come a long way from, Lord, don't you care that we're drowning? Peter is sound asleep. The rest of faith. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. Then he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, he but thought he was seeing a vision. 
And when he passed through the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure the the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. This is probably at the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. <laughs> Peter said, hey, excuse me, would you let me in, please? I can, I can just see how funny that would have been. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. All right, this is prudence. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over all over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So he left Jerusalem, went back down to the fortified city along the coast on the Mediterranean and spent some time there. <laughs> he was a very frustrated man. All right, let's open up our hearts. And get a little bit of wisdom today as we finish out. Proverbs 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Undiscipline. Undisciplined kids bring shame to a family. Show me a family that doesn't discipline their children, and just like King David with with his son Adonijah, you know, it's going to bring shame to the family. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. I like that. The righteous will look upon their downfall. NLT says it this way, when the wicked are in authority, sin flourishes, but the godly will live to see their downfall. I like that. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. All right, we're coming back up here. Discipline, consequences. They may not be pleasant to, to enact in a family, but when you discipline your children, they will give you rest. NLT says they'll give you peace of mind and they'll make your heart glad. They've learned consequences. They've learned discipline. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. NLT says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Now, where there is no vision, the people perish. The people cast off restraint. Literally, when there's no prophetic revelation of God, when there's no direction from God, people live a very unrestrained life. Do you remember all the revivals that happened in the Bible because they stood up and they read from the scriptures? When the prophetic vision, when, 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 when what God has said, and I'm not talking about some pastor standing up who ate too much balut, 
But when the word of God comes forth, that this is the revealed will of God, people begin to discipline their lives and show restraint in their lives. They get focused with their lives. All right, we're going to stop there today. Tonight, we'll see you at 7 o'clock. We're getting back into understanding the heart of the Apostle Paul from Romans 15. We'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.